I was 16, I was making $50,000 a month for from, from these affiliate marketing stuff. So that gave me enough fuel to move myself to LA and then started my first brand, which is a clothing brand. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new episode of the Influence Factor by the Influencer Marketing Factory. It's your host, Alessandro, CEO and co-founder of the company. With me today, honored to be with Jason Wong, founder of Do Lashes. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How, how is it? I, I saw you traveling. You're usually in LA. You were in New York. You're all over the places. Yeah, I've been traveling and then I'm actually going to Asia next month um, just to see some friends, see some suppliers, some partners there too. Um, things are opening up a little bit more, so I want to take advantage of that. So you're, you're going to see me around the world. That's amazing to see. Yeah, I think it's, you know, like the connections, right? You work with many people, right? Many founders, and we're going to go in, you know, like more in details about that. But I think that it's really important, right? Uh, people are get used to do DTC brands. Uh, they, you start from sometimes your kitchen, right? Your house. And it's uh, sometimes maybe you have the feeling, right? That you're a bit disconnected because everyone is working remote, right? So I guess that also for you, seeing people that you maybe work with, you know, is ever happened to you that you met for the first time? Uh, during the past two years, people that you started to work remotely together? Yeah, we have teams all over the world. We have some in Canada, some in New York, Hong Kong, China, the Philippines, and I'm going there to see them. And I think for a remote team, it's very important for us to be together for creative purposes, but also just having face-to-face -face conversations allow us to build that relationship. Um, and that's one of the key things that I have to do now as a leader now that my company has grown. Amazing, amazing to hear. So just for the audience today, can you say like, you know, tell them a bit more about you, about Dolashes that was like, uh, if I'm correct, the first company that you created and then from there you start partying out with many people, but what is your background? Um, you know, you started pretty early on, right? You were like super young when you started. Yeah, I'll, I'll walk you through it quickly. I started when I was around 15 years old as a influencer on this platform called Tumblr, which is a blogging <laughs> website that's really no longer around, but had tens of millions of followers as a 15 year old, which is kind of scary when you think about it, giving 15 year old tens of millions of followers. Um, but I figure it out. I understand how to capitalize on it. Um, I was doing all these sponsor posts. I was doing influencer marketing when they weren't really called influencer marketing. We were just posting stuff for brands, uh, making money um, by, by posting these content. Um, and then I discover affiliate marketing because when you're an influencer, you can send a lot of people to affiliate links that you have. And, you know, I think when I was 16, I was making $50,000 a month for, <laughs> from, from these affiliate marketing stuff. So that gave me enough fuel to move myself to LA and then started my first brand, which is a clothing brand. Um, so I went from a clothing brand, a second clothing brand, went into um, novelty gifts, stationaries, got into beauty, I think four years ago. And now I'm mostly in beauty products, but it's been like eight years in, in the whole journey. And I, I think I've started at this point, 12, 13 brands. Wow. Amazing. Congratulations on that. And how did you see that changing, right? Because as you said correctly, influencer marketing was not even a world, right? Uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, right. but marketing, word of mouth marketing, you know, you name it, it was different. I know that is a lot to unpack here, but is there like maybe two or three main things that you saw radically changing in the past five to 10 years? Yeah, uh, let's do like macro changes. I, I would say the larger changes that 
on the influencer side, influencers are realizing their value that they bring to the platform and to the brands. And so they're a little more conservative with who they work with. Back in the days, a lot easier for you as a brand to reach out to the influencer and get a deal done. Nowadays, they're a lot more careful because there's a lot more options. On the consumer side, people now know what a sponsored ad looks like. They know that influencers are getting paid for certain things. So they're a little bit more <clears throat> apprehensive towards clicking links, towards buying products. They are generally not going to click the link in your bio. They're going to Google you and see what this product is. So on the both sides, people are a little more cautious, but it also means that brand have to be a lot stronger and building their brand identity and their brand credibility in order to make influencer marketing work. Now, <clears throat> in the past two, three years, I would say people's attention span also decreased. Eight years ago, people will read blog posts and now it's, people still do, but the amount of people that do is a lot less because the way that people consume content became a lot more short form. People's content in terms of output increase, more people are content creators. And so there's a overwhelming amount of content to consume and there's only so many people. And, and which is why hooks are a lot more important now. You wanna grab people's attention a lot faster now. A lot of these things that shifted because people's attention span for content decreased. Interesting, absolutely. I mean, I, I totally agree on that. Uh, there is more content creators than ever, right? Uh, everyone has the opportunity now to make more money than before, more revenue streams possible, right? So I, I totally see what you mean on that. And based on that, what you just said, there is more competition. People are more aware whenever it's an ad. So can you tell us like, and I know that it's difficult to you know, spill any secrets here, but uh, you created a brand like Dolashes, right? Uh, and maybe also you can also tell a bit more about the story. I read it online. It's interesting, I think, you know, uh, how it started, but you went it like what, like less than two years, some of something like that to zero to a $15 million valuation as a company. So it's a, it's a D2C company, right? Um, how do you, especially nowadays that everyone is doing a DTC, how do you really can, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, sort of like, you know, build something that is apart from the competition and really bring it to like zero to eight digits in, in a short amount of time. For us, we were doing a few things in the beginning to really build that foundation. We didn't have a lot of money to start with. I set out to challenge myself to do a $500 challenge. Like how much can I do with $500? Most of it went into inventory. And so I bought 200 units of the lashes. A hundred of them were sent to influencers and the rest were saved for selling. And with the 100, I went after nano influencers. These are people with, I would say, like 5,000 followers up to 20, 30,000 followers. And we were just reaching out to them saying, hey, we know that you wear lashes already. We make something that is drastically different that you can only feel it when you actually try it on. Where can we send this to you? There's no obligations to post. We're not asking you for a story post or a fee post. We just want to get your opinion on this new thing that we launch. And so when people hear that we are making something so fundamentally different and they have to try it to see the difference, they're more enticed to actually put it on. And that's really the first step that people don't realize is that a lot of influencers get so many PR boxes that they don't even open them. They're stacked up and by their door 
Um, but making your product something that they want to open is actually the first step. It's not sending it to their door. So by putting that narrative that we want them to try it because it's so unique and that they've never tried anything like it before, it made them open it. It made them post about it. And so with the 100 PR boxes that we sent, I would say 65, 70 of them actually got posted, which is a very, very high rate that doesn't really happen anymore. But also taking context, this is four years ago. Um, and through that momentum, we sold out the rest of the 100 units that I saved aside for selling. But around that time, I kept ordering. I put all the money back into the business. And so we kind of grew with that initial seed, if you want to look at the history of it. Um, and then the next thing was straightening our brand position and our narrative, having like a very unique argument, and, and which is why we were able to succeed. When you look at the beauty space or any product in this space, there is so much competition. There's a bajillion other beauty brands out there, and consumers know that too. There's, you know, a thousand moisturizers from the pick from. Heck, there's even thousands of lash brands from the pick from. And so on the brand side, it becomes shifted towards this uh, narrative of we need to fight for our right to survive. Like we need to prove that we should be here. And it's a continuous fight of arguing this is why we should deserve to be on this shelf. This is why we deserve to have your money and, and to buy from us. And to do that, it was understanding that position that we're in and doubling and tripling down and quadrupling down on it. Our position was that we are making the most comfortable lashes for your eyes. That was something that no one else was really doing. And Alejandro, I don't know if you ever wore lashes before, but the best way for you to get a feel of it is high heels and sneakers. All right. A lot of lashes on the market were kind of like high heels. You put them on because you have to for the occasion. You put them on and they're uncomfortable. They irritate your eyes and they look good, but they don't feel good. So our angle was you can have both. You can have the best of both worlds. We're going to make sneakers that you can run around in. You can wear all day. If you're a teacher, if you're a lawyer, if you're a cook, if you're anyone that needs to be out for long periods of time, you can wear our stuff without even realizing that you're wearing our stuff. And by having this brand position and hammering that through with every single influencers that we work with, we work with moms, we work with people who work long hours of the day to push that narrative, we're able to own this market. And that's how we made influencers work. We had a strong brand position. We had a strong North Star for what we want people to understand we are. And then we, we understand what people to go after. We didn't go after the big people who were promoting six other lash brands. We were going after people who this may be the first lash brand that they promote. And so it's very authentic. That's fantastic. I mean, like, so good position, right? Uh, finding your unique selling proposition. You're different from the others. Finding a narrative, right? I, I think that many DTC that are, especially these days coming up, a lot of them, they're like just a copy paste, right? They have no soul, they have no DNA, right? Nothing uh, different to offer. So what you said, it's really, I think, important for people listening. Like maybe they want to start, like, you know, get into the DC. You want to be, you know, really different from the others. You want to find your right audience, really understand also what your audience is looking for, right? And, uh, and so you said that you, you were solving up a problem. You went also to... This is really interesting. Nano influencers that, that were not promoting many like other, like, you know, maybe potential competitors. How did you, first of all, 
uh, this was four years ago, right? So was it mostly, I guess, what was it? Instagram or was it a mix of Instagram, YouTube? And I mean, TikTok was still at the beginning. So first of all, I have two questions. Like, um, did you focus on a specific social media, first of all, when it comes to another influencers? And two, um, how did you find them? Platform, network, uh, how, how did you approach that? Yeah, we've never used any particular tools to find influencers. We found that these databases generally don't give you a good sense of what the people are. It's just showing you the metrics. We're not going after metrics. We're going after a personality. When you look at influencers, there's several types. There's the people who post very pretty pictures and people follow them for their aesthetics. And then there's the influencers who people follow them because they value their opinion on something. And you have to distinguish these two so that you're not paying for something that doesn't return money for you. And so we're not looking at the vanity metrics. We're looking at if this person is actually creating content that people feel compelled to buy. Um, the first platform that we focused on was Instagram because at that time, TikTok wasn't really a big thing yet. It was still musically. Uh, yeah. It was still a lot of teenagers dancing to, to music. Um, but we built a great momentum and a great foundation on Instagram. But then TikTok came along and brands still didn't take it seriously. This was three years ago. People were like, it's musically, it rebranded into TikTok. Um, there's still dancing to music, but there's a lot more funny videos. Still brands didn't take it seriously because it's just a bunch of kids on the platform. But I saw what the difference is on TikTok and there was nothing that was parallel to TikTok on any other platforms and any other platforms for you to have your content shown to someone, they have to follow you. Back in the day, the Instagram algorithm, they didn't even show you things that from, from people that you didn't follow. Now they do because of TikTok. But TikTok was the only platform where you are rewarded for making good content because they show your content to people who would consume that content, not if they follow you. And so your growth ceiling was so high, it was virtually unlimited. Whereas on Instagram, if you have 50,000 followers, maybe 2% of the people will see your content, right? And so I saw that and I said, we need to double down on TikTok. We made a TikTok account. We got our social media manager to start making content and it flopped. The reason why it flopped is because we were treating TikTok just like Instagram, we're posting this, the videos that we're posting on Instagram into TikTok. We were using a creator, which is our social media manager, who's not native to TikTok to make content. So she doesn't understand the angle. She doesn't understand the tone, the narrative. And so we're like, okay, let's find someone who's native to TikTok. We found this girl who was making a bunch of TikTok content already. She was doing well, but not super well where she was famous. But I knew that she has the potential again not looking at the numbers, but looking at how their personality is. And if you give them the tools and your platform, can they succeed? And so we got her to try. We got from zero to a hundred thousand followers in about six months. Um, we were consistently getting 20, 20 to 30,000 views per every single videos. And TikTok became 40% of our revenue, organic, no ads, never ran ads until recently. Um, and it's all because we knew that TikTok was so different that you cannot treat it like any other platform. Um, granted, TikTok is also something that is not very 
long term in a sense that you can't really get someone to click a link in bio. You can't really get someone to, you know, perform an action immediately. But TikTok, what we found is a place where people really fulfill their curiosity and they love to learn. And so we start making a lot of content that are educational focus. We teach them enough and we let them Google the rest. As soon as we start doing a lot on TikTok, we saw our organic search on Google skyrocket. It, it was basically the same. TikTok rises, Google rises as well. And so one last point on the whole influencer thing is what most people don't understand is that influencer marketing is just one part of the funnel. It's not the entire funnel. It's just one part of the funnel. It's the top of the funnel. Um, you need to have a very good SEO presence for influencer marketing to really be fully optimized because in today's day and age, people don't just click the links anymore. They will go and Google you and you want to make sure that your link is there when people are looking up for you. That's fantastic. I mean, like make totally sense, uh, you know, like you want to do native, right? First, many people think that you can recreate things that were working on Instagram on TikTok. You also said that it's not going to work different format, different medium, different audience, different tone of voice, right? So first of all, you want to understand what to create right all the time. And absolutely. And then also on the, on the side, like, you know, about the, um, the, the network base versus the, you know, interest base, there is also a big, big difference, right? How you can really potentially get in front of people that don't really follow you. Right? And that's, I agree that that's where like, you know, TikTok changes really things. So this was again, you know, like, you know, four, four years ago, things changed drastically, right? Every social media started fighting to each other's, right? Copying features uh, and testing out things. Uh, if you had to start today, okay? So where you have YouTube Shorts and TikTok and Instagram Reels and Instagram is now showing to you content that you were not following, right? And YouTube Shorts is pushing so much their content and TikTok is still, you know, fighting for present in, in the market. If you had to start today, what would you do differently and what would you try to recreate depending on what you did four years ago? Oh, absolutely. Uh, great question. Today, we, I would say like, if we're to start all over again, we look at what is that format that the platform is favoring. There's always a format that a platform favors when they launch. So back in the day, <clears throat> when tick, uh, sorry, when Instagram just started doing galleries, like when you can do multiple pictures, if you post multiple pictures, it'll get seen a lot more. Um, and then it went from IGTV and then it went into reels. Um, and so now whenever we post reels, it will just get substantially more view video views than our, our feed. So understanding what that platform is favoring and taking advantage of the algorithm is how you have to play the game. Now it's not about how pretty your pictures are. It's not about how often you post and how many comments you reply to. It's you look at what is the highest growth possible lever that you could pull. And you go after that. So IG reels and TikTok is something that I'll go after. Uh, the next thing is if I were to start again, my first hire is going to be a content person instead of a social media person. Social media has been around for so long that a lot of the responsibilities are kind of legacy now. Uh, and so when you hire a social media manager, they might not necessarily be a content manager. Whereas if you hire someone who's a content person, they could learn how to do social media management because it's so simplified now. It's posting, scheduling, understanding what stuff to post, but what stuff to post goes back to what content to make. And so at the end of the day, you want to hire a content person, not a social media manager. That's the difference that I would make right now. Um, and then lastly is 
if I could do it all over again, I would start with an association with an influencer. So a lot of influencers nowadays, they see these big celebrities creating their own brands and they have aspirations to do the same. Um, they might have 90,000, 100,000 followers and they said, I want to start my own brand, but they don't have the resources to do that. They don't have the possibility to even create a whole business of their own. And so the opportunity becomes for the brand to come to these influencers and say, hey, we'll do a capsule collection with you. So even though you're a brand new brand, you have the manufacturing capabilities, you have the products that these influencers might like. Maybe it's a mascara, maybe it's a yoga pants, but you work with these influencers and you create this co-branded marketing campaign where you don't really have to put up money for marketing and they don't have to put up money for products. And it becomes a very symbiotic collaboration. We did this recently, I think last year, and it accounted for 10% of our revenue with one single influencer. It was in incredible uh, how well it did. Um, and it makes sense for the influencers. They now are testing the market and say, oh, if I make the product next, it, this is how it's got to work out. They get something out of it. They get pay out of it too. And for, the, for your company, you're saving the marketing costs. You're creating a brand credibility because you're associating with a credible influencer. So that's the third thing that I would do. That's the per perfect win-win, right? You are bringing in your audience and also another uh, actual revenue stream. The company can finally understand what the audience want to see, right? Sometimes there is a distance, right, from the corporate world to what actually your consumer wants. And you need a sort of middle person, right? It's the person that you can trust that is the, the influencer in that case, right? So uh, that that's amazing to hear. And since you like, you are really into DTC, like you you breathe that every single day, right? You are into many companies, uh, um, I guess, from like a, from advisor's point of view to investors, right? So you, you can really see from different point of view. What do you think that now, apart from the influencer marketing, like industry, what do you think that is missing the most in the DTC world? Like, are you seeing any flaws? Are you seeing anything that maybe a pattern that is coming up or any myth about DTC that people usually don't talk about? Um, I think the common myth is that it's a cash machine. <laughs> people think that, um, you know, you know, influencer marketing can save it all. It, and then you can just start a store and it will make money immediately. The top line revenue is not equal to how much money you make when you take home. Oftentimes brands aren't even making some money in some of the months. It's, it's a very tough and volatile business to be in. So the common myth is that, you know, if you start in e-commerce, you're going to be very, very rich. Um, just like anything else, there's only 1% of the people who will make it out very wealthy. And that's a risk that you have to consider. Uh, and I want to put that out there. It's not all rainbows and sunshine. Um, the second myth I would say is, you know, influencers is an end all be all. I know like you and I are in this business, but we also have to make sure that people understand you, you can't just start influencer and expect money to flow in. There's so much groundwork for you to do. You have to have a good brand narrative and a position that is strong and you need to have all these follow through the downstream funnel things that you do like your seo your website needs to work first and foremost um and, and so many other things that support the the leads and traffic that you get from influencers but it's not the only thing that will bring you all the money so uh, i'll say those are the two things that needs to be highlighted because people just always assume wrong i love it here yeah i mean like how many times or so, like, you know, websites that are like slowly, like, you know, they are too slow to load up. 
their buttons, uh, they are not optimized. Uh, you know, maybe it's not like, you know, people really think that you put something online and that's it, there is so much more. And maybe, you know, finally it's time also like, you know, to go out there and be like, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. You can still really make it and be super successful. Like, you know, you're an example of that, right? But uh, you really have to think about it 360, right? And also agree what you said before, influencer marketing, like it's part of that. It's one of the touch points, right? But you have to have an idea of what is SEO, what is positioning, right? Understanding your competition and really like, you know, look at the DTC, on all the marketing sphere there so uh, that that's amazing to hear and uh, uh you know i want just also like you not know, to do a, a not necessarily like a step back but also i want to ask you this question you said you're also gonna to travel like you know to asia uh, in the next future and so i'm pretty sure that you know uh, and you can see like the difference right between what is happening to western countries what has happening in china in Indonesia, for example, I know that TikTok uh, did do a lot of tests in Indonesia, for example. Um, China has been there in the, um, you know, they call the co-peer leaders for a long time, and they have been, especially into social commerce and live streaming for like 10 years now. Really successful in China, different rules, uh, different websites and everything. Um, how do you see, first of all, the differences? Do you think that it's like cultural, it is technical, it is a combination? So first of all, how do you see the main differences between these two different worlds? And second question is, do you think that Western countries, um, you know, and specifically US and Canada and maybe part of uh, like Western Europe, is ever gonna get to that level? Or is just something so different that is not really, you know, uh, get in an endemic way to the, you know, Western population? Yeah, influencer marketing is so different in different countries because influencers are people and cultures are different in every country. Um, and so when there's a cultural difference in every single country and there's people influencer in different countries, the way that they're gonna do it is different. Some are more salesy than others. Some are a little bit more conservative how they sell. Some sell things a certain way. Some sell things a different way. And so it's not always a blanket strategy that will work everywhere. That's something that it's very important context. You're seeing huge influx of um, sales from live streaming in China and all these Asian countries. And it's because they were primed to do this for years and that's why it's working like china has always been a very promotional forward type of country like very blatantly promotional whereas in the u.s it's a little more subtle like it's aha i gotcha that was marketing and so you cannot blend the two together and expect it to work even if you bring the same technology over from china to here you're seeing a lot of live shopping platforms popping up in the u.s and i'm not saying that they won't work but it takes a while for consumer behavior to shift because people in America just simply don't have the time to sit around to listen to live shopping people to sell. Um, that's just not how their career and the work culture has been shaped. Whereas in China, if you ever go to China, you will see people who are driving taxis watching live streaming platforms or people who are eating on their lunch break or working and have their phone there watching stuff. You, it doesn't really happen here. And so with the differences like that, it's very hard for these two things to merge. And so my prediction is that live shopping will come to the U.S. and it will hit, but not in the next couple of years to the extent that we see that in, in Asia. That's really interesting. I mean, I can see the difference there. I also have the opinion that it's mostly culture, right? Uh, it's, it's not the technical thing, right? Because you can easily reproduce the same, like, you know, 
technicality there, you know, like you can get in new features. Uh, but yeah, I do agree, I don't see like now Western countries really taking, you know, one hour of their time during the day, randomly go and pop up like on a live streaming. And also, and I don't know if you also agree on that, it seems to me that especially in China, you have like so many incentives, right, to be on a live streaming for both parties. So like it's easier for you to sell because as you said, it's less subtle, so it's more of mass selling, right? But on the other hand, to me, it seems like that you can, you know, like it's, there's more gamification involved, right? You can spend time, you can get badges, you can get uh, promo codes, uh, you know, big discounts. While the live stream commerce that I saw so far, in the, especially in the States, uh, it's mostly like, yeah, you know, like a conversation is nice, but uh, I, would, I would not potentially spend, you know, one hour of my time during the day hoping, right, to find something. Do you also see there, like, any difference also in the user experience usually? How is it different, in your opinion, when you're, like, going to live stream in China compared to maybe Amazon here in the States? Yeah, Chinese technology and their commerce has been around game findings for so long. Even at restaurants, if you eat certain amount of times, you get certain perks. Like there's reward programs um, everywhere. And so the consumer has been primed to, to shop this particular way because everything else in their lives is like that. Um, and we're, it's not like that in the U.S. And, and because the consumers in a particular country is so used to doing things a certain way, you cannot expect the same technology to work in another country where that that wasn't a culture norm. Um, is that was that like your your main question about like? Yeah, absolutely. Like... Yeah, I wanted to understand that you know like because sometimes especially like you know if you don't have like experience in other countries, you usually just see like what is in your own country, and uh, I think that maybe sometimes companies make the mix they made the mistakes right like you know to assume things that they don't really try on themselves. So that is, was uh, really interesting to see your point of view on that. And uh, so, you know, like we went through many things here, like, you know, DTC brands and, you know, influencer marketing, what is happening in China, what is happening here. I know that no one of us has the crystal ball, but if I had to ask you, in your opinion, what is going to be the future? I don't want to tell, ask you like in 10 years because, you know, but maybe in the next couple of years for both DTC that you know very well and also influencer marketing that you've been you know, working in for a long time. How do you see it changing? How do you see it shifting um, in both in terms of approach and also what do you think about uh, budgets involved? Because uh, we saw a lot of shifting from budgeting marketing. Do you see that it's gonna grow, grow uh, increase, uh, be the same? Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think budget will definitely go up as more people realize that Influencer isn't just anyone who can make content. Influencer is someone that who can actually influence. And so the value for those people goes up. You can't just go for someone with nice numbers. You want to go for someone who can actually influence people to buy from your business. And so as brands realize that distinction, they're going to understand that the cost to work with them is also different. Next, um, I would say influencers and brands are going to work closer than ever before. It's less going to be a transaction. It's more going to be a partnership. It's it's a relationship that you will have to build. And you're going to realize that instead of going after a thousand influencers, you want to go after a lot less, but more meaningful relationship of influencers, someone who can back you up on your brand, someone who can support your your products and all that stuff. So 
less people that you're going to be working with, more meaningful relationship, and the budget for that is going to go a little bit higher. But the downstream effect is going to be higher because now people are going to start remembering your brand with the influencer tied together rather than just saying, oh, I saw this brand on a random person's feed, which doesn't really help you a lot. Fantastic. And do you think that it's going to be uh, the next, is there like a next social media in your opinion or something maybe it's not on the radar or also is there any, uh, you know, creator platform that you are using lately could be from like, you know, how to manage your finance to live stream shopping. Is there anything that you're like, you know, really analyzing? Is there anything that is uh, amazing you or do you still feel that uh, we're still in a position where it's still like, you know, growing on people and still a bit in, in the middle of uh, still, you know, work in progress. I will say the only influencer platform that I use right now is Bounty. Okay. Um, Bounty, I wouldn't even say it's an influencer platform, but it allows people to become influencers. It allows anyone to become influencers. Um, essentially, the way that it works is a it, there's a Bounty widget on your product page. And if someone checks out and they select Bounty, when they receive their product and they post about it on TikTok, we detect it in our system and we'll pay them based on the views that they generate for us on TikTok. What this means is that we're now allowing all our customers to become creators. Customers who were previously posting about us for free are now getting paid to post about us. And so as a result, we're incentivizing our customers to buy because there's a chance that they can get their orders comp for free based on the money that they make. But also, we're making sure that we're getting as many genuine and authentic content as possible. Whereas previously, we had to chase down influencers to get certain things. That's, that's, that's really interesting to me that everyone is really becoming a content creator. Everyone in an easy way can just take a link, right? And make potentially, I don't like the term like passive income because it really doesn't exist in my opinion, but it can at least facilitate an extra revenue stream, right? And, uh, and that I think it's actually huge, right? Like everyone, yeah. as you correctly said, can really easily become someone that not only create content can actually win in a little way, right? Because you're already doing that for free. Why not also making some money out of it? You know, so uh, super interesting to see. Is there any other topic that we didn't really cover that you think, uh, um, you know, should really put on for the audience today, uh, you know, listening? Is there anything that we didn't really touch base on or maybe anything that you would like to expand on? Oh, I, I feel like you asked so many great questions. You cover everything. I was happy to answer them. That's amazing. Well, Jason, thank you so much. I think that today people learned a lot about DTC, influencer marketing, what is happening, what was in the past, what is now, what is in the future. Uh, is there any last, uh, you know, like maybe uh, suggestions for someone that want to start uh, today? I know that you already said about the strategy, but is there like maybe a little, you know, nugget, something that you want to share with anyone that want to start uh, today in the DTC plus influencer marketing arena? Yeah, start small. Um, really find like the few influencers that you feel like has the personality to push your products and go after their friends and their friend group. The beauty of influencer marketing is that a lot of influencers know each other. So if you find one, you can usually find the other three. Um, and the reason why you want to find the other three is because you want to go for audience overlap. When there's an audience overlap between the influencers that you work with, the chances of you converting on your brand right increases significantly think about it if you're the consumer and you see one influencer post about a product you're just like oh it's an ad 
but if you see multiple influencers that you post about it, you kind of know it's an ad still, but you get the sense of FOMO. Why is four people that I follow posting about the same thing? Now I'm a little curious. So if you find one, find the other three or four and go after them because the more audience overlap you can create, the better your conversion rate will be. Wow, amazing. That I think was a really nice conclusion to our conversation, Jason. Really a pleasure having you today. Uh, I hope also you had fun. And for everyone listening, this was The Influence Factor. You can find us really everywhere from YouTube Shorts, TikTok, uh, Apple Music, Spotify, and so on. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to have other fantastic people in the next episode. Thank you so much, Jason, again, for joining me today. And see you soon. Thanks for having me.